But we're not done. We have many precious things still in store for us. This is a letter that Paul wrote to a church at Corinth in Greece. They had criticized him for being weak and experiencing too many troubles to be worthy of being an apostle. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul is responding to this and explaining and defending his weakness. Today we come to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. And I'm going to read 8 to 12, but I'm actually going to cover the first half of that this week and the second half of it next week. First, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Per- perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So this morning we're going to begin by focusing on these four little expressions in verse 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. In these verses, Paul poignantly reflects upon the life of the Christian. On the one hand, we are bullied both by the painful realities of life in this cursed existence and also by the peculiar trials of following in the footsteps of the crucified one. We are afflicted in every way. We are perplexed. We are persecuted. We are struck down to take the first part of each of those four Phrases. And yet, on the other hand, we are buoyed by the power of the Spirit who works in our hearts. So that in spite of being pressed down, we are not crushed. We are not despairing. We are not forsaken. And we are not destroyed. The Christian life then we can see is a constant interplay between these two realities. We are bullied, but also buoyed. Bullied by the world, by the devil, by the curse, by our own weakness. And yet in spite of what you would expect, we stay afloat because we are buoyed by God. Now what keeps us going. What gives us hope in the midst of suffering? It is the Lord, His truth 
and his power at work within us. In the midst of the agonies <clears throat> that we experience in life, we know that there is a God who watches over us, who is our helper. And not only that, but who has ordained our trials for our benefit. And he promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. Do not fear, for I am with you. Isaiah 41. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.31 But now let's take each of these four phrases and just look at that it by itself and think about it. First of all, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Afflicted in every way. Our afflictions, there's great variety in our afflictions. Health, relationships, family, job, church, school, finances, neighbors, house, car, mental illness, what's happening in our society around us. And that's just the beginning of what could be a much longer list, just categories. And each of those we could unpack many different ways that sometimes we are afflicted. There's heartbreak, there's tragedy, there's disappointment, there's physical pain, there's wounds of the heart, there's rejection, there's shattered dreams, there's loss, there's failure, there's betrayal, there's humiliation, there's dangers, there's burdens, there's diseases, there's injuries, there's frustration, there are responsibilities, there's the threat of evil being done to us. We could go on and on. And yet, in the midst of all this, we are not crushed. There is one who watches over us to sustain, to protect. He does not protect us from affliction, but he protects us from being crushed by affliction. And that's an important distinction, because many times we come with the expectation that if God loves me, he's going to protect me from affliction. But the passage makes it clear. It's not the affliction he protects us from. It's being crushed by the affliction. He also doesn't promise that he's going to protect us from the feeling of being crushed. He just protects us from actually being crushed. Along with the afflictions, the Lord knows how to include the strength the joys, the encouragements, the faith to keep us going. One of my favorite hymns says, Day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, 
I have no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure. And here I'm going to uh, uh, change the word order a little bit to make it more understandable. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure lovingly gives unto each day its part of pain and pleasure as he deems best, mingling toil with peace and rest. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. The next expression, the second half of verse 8, is that we are perplexed, but not driven to despair. One of the lists, one of the afflictions that we experience is perplexity. And the Greek word here, interestingly, for you know, we are perplexed but not driven to despair. They're the same Greek word, except in the second time the word is used, there's an intensifier as a prefix. So we're perplexed, but not ultimately perplexed. We're not. We're perplexed. We struggle with with things that we can't deal with can't feel like we can understand and yet it doesn't go to the nth degree and destroy us one of the features of living in this cursed world is that a lot of very dark and sad and perplexing things happen and the older we are the more generally we have experienced of those things And yet part of being unperfected is that we are often troubled and confounded by what we see and experience in this world. We don't understand it. However, through it all, even though we don't understand it, the Christian has a reason for hope. Because even in the face of disturbing injustice and tragedy, which seems purposeless many times, we know that God is on his throne and that he rules over all the affairs of this world, that he knows what he's doing and that he has all things in hand and that it all fits into a perfect plan which will result in glory and understanding and justice and praise. So though at many times we are perplexed, we are never cast into despair. The world sees disturbing things and concludes that either there is no God or he's powerless or even evil. Last night, my wife and I had the privilege of seeing Steel Magnolias at our local community theater, Fauquier Community Theater. And uh, there's a woman who, who tragically loses her grown daughter, and she's mourning over the death of her daughter. And she's angry. She's angry at God. And she says, things aren't supposed to happen this way. And that is the way we sometimes experience life. Things happen which don't seem like they should happen. 
And without Christ, it's just despair. But with Christ, we know that even if it feels like that shouldn't happen, we know that somehow in God's wisdom, He knows that it should. Sadly, some kids grow up in the church and they accept what they learn about Christianity. But when they leave home or go to college or go out in the world and learn about and see many of the horrific things which have happened in history and which continue to happen right now in the world, they lose their faith. But Paul says here that being perplexed about some things which happen is part of the way that we are tested and tried. It's part of our hardship in this world. God doesn't tell us why he does everything he does. And that's part of our learning to trust in him. If he told us everything, it would be easy. There wouldn't be a need for faith. We would know. But it doesn't have to turn into despair. Because we believe in a good God. And we see in his word that he often uses even evil for good purposes. You think about the story of Joseph and all the terrible things. The unspeakable things that happened to him. And yet he saw. He said, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Christian can't understand many things which happen. But the Christian knows that God understands. Someday, we'll understand too. Another hymn to quote. We are often tossed and driven on a restless sea of time. Somber skies and howling tempests often succeed a bright sunshine. Trials dark on every hand, and we cannot understand. By and by, when the morning comes, when the saints of God are gathered home, we'll tell the story of how we've overcome. In that land of perfect day, when the mists have rolled away, we'll understand it better by and by. The third expression in the beginning of verse 9 is that we That's for me. There must be a loose connection here, so sorry about that. No gunshots. Persecuted but not forsaken. Persecuted but not forsaken. Paul says that he... And other believers in Christ are persecuted. We will be mistreated, despised, disrespected, ridiculed, abused. And yet no matter how hated and mistreated and abused we are, the one who really counts has promised that he will never forsake us. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at your enemy. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. 
He will not fail you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6 The Christian life is not an easy one. It involves being treated the way they treated Christ. They didn't treat him so well. However, through it all, we are strengthened by the assurance that Jesus is with his people when they are persecuted. Whether it's being thrown in prison and being tortured for your faith, or it's just being not thought of as cool because you're a Christian. Jesus promises that he will stand with those who stand for him. The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And yet another hymn. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose. I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake. I'll never, no never. No, never forsake. The final expression in the second half of verse 9 is struck down, but not destroyed. Struck down, but not destroyed. And the J.B. Phillips translates this in a way that I've always liked. We are knocked down, but not knocked out. Paul experienced this in chapter 11 of this epistle. He spends almost a a whole chapter just listing the things that he's suffered. But through it all, he hasn't been destroyed. He continues on in spite of all the shipwrecks and the floggings and the imprisonments and all the things that he experienced. And he already has given testimony in chapter 1 of the hardships that he experienced in Asia. Such terrible hardships that he thought he was going to die. And yet God raised him up and took care of him and sustained him. And he was not destroyed. Show me an elderly Christian and I'll show you someone who's been knocked down but not knocked out. Now this is not good news for everyone. I realize that for those who are still clinging to the hope that their life is going to be smooth and relatively trouble free, to them this kind of message is not encouraging. It's like, yeah, so life is going to be terrible, but God's going to walk through it with me. Wouldn't it be better if life was great? And God still walked through through it with me? Well, the problem is that that path doesn't exist. There's only two paths. There's the path of Christ and there's the path of the world. There are those who don't always have such a hard time. They eat plenty but they still feel empty inside. They drink, but their souls are still dying of thirst. They laugh and have good times, but ultimate shame awaits them. 
They sing and have fun now, but soon they will cry out in agony of heart and their spirits will be crushed. Jesus is the one who said there's only two paths. And in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, he says, the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And as I said, the road that we want to travel down is the road of pleasure, popularity, and ease, which leads to more pleasure, popularity, and ease. But that path doesn't exist. We want the third alternative, the missing link. You know, we want the thing that no one has ever discovered before. And it's amazing how many people search for it. But it doesn't exist. Jesus said the path that leads to life is a hard path. There's no other way to get there. There's no shortcuts. There's no, you know, you hit this space and you go automatically there. It's through the path of the cross. We don't have to be afraid of the troubles that are on this path, though. You know, I didn't, I wasn't, it wasn't easy for me to learn to swim. I still remember my granduncle teaching me, trying to teach me how to swim. I was so afraid of going underwater that in my mind, going underwater was the same as dying. That's the way it felt. If I went underwater, I was going to die. And so he was trying to get me to float on my back in a lake. And um, the idea of relaxing my head and seeing if it went underwater or not is like, you know, do this and see if you die or not. It's like, no, thank you. And that pretty much, that was the experience of all my kids as I taught them how to swim until the last two, Elijah and Ezra. And for some reason, they were comfortable going underwater. I could put them in, you know, as little toddlers in two feet of water and they could go down. They knew they could pop back up. And that ability to not be afraid of being underwater made it so easy for them to learn to swim. It's really the same in life. If we are so afraid of trouble, so afraid of difficulty, so afraid of affliction, that we do everything we can to try to avoid it, we'll never be able to enjoy life. You can't enjoy swimming if you are afraid of going underwater. But if you aren't afraid... Swimming can be a a fun and delightful thing. I don't want to make light of anybody's pain. But we do need to have the right attitude about our pain. Though it can be intense beyond description. 
We learned last week from James 1 that as believers, we're not supposed to focus on the thing which is natural for us to focus on. There's so many, so many times where we're experiencing something and we're focusing on something that isn't what we should be focusing on, but it's a natural thing. Think about Peter. He stepped out on the water to walk, remember? And he saw the st- wind, waves and the storm and the wind and that was the natural thing to focus on, but that's not what he was supposed to be focused on. He's supposed to be focusing on the Lord. Okay, I will stop moving. I will freeze and speak without moving. I'll be like a clutch cargo, if you remember that old cartoon where the body stands still and just the mouth speaks. So, think about Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar on his roof, looking over the city that he had built, the city of glory in his kingdom. It was the natural thing for him to, to boast in his own pride and say, wow, look what I've done. It's not what he should have been thinking about. When we fail, it's natural for us to think about our weaknesses. And our failures, our other failures, about the hopelessness of our situation. But that's not what we're supposed to be focusing on. When we fail, we're supposed to focus, or when we experience weakness, we're supposed to focus on God's faithfulness. We're supposed to focus on how God works all things together for the good of those who love him. We're supposed to focus on the truth that failure is one of God's tools to teach us and transform us. We need to focus on the things we need to focus on. When we are afflicted, we're prone to focus on our afflictions. But instead we should focus on our mighty fortress. When we're perplexed, we should focus on the one who holds all things in his trustworthy hands. When we're persecuted, we should focus on the one who promised never to forsake us. When we're struck down, we should focus on the one who has promised to be our helper. There's a very popular song right now, in fact it's one of the it's like more popular than any Christian song's ever been in the history of the world, supposedly. It's by Lauren Daigle. It's called Look Up Child. This is what it says. This is a Christian song, more popular than any other Christian song. Where are you now when darkness seems to win? Where are you now when the world is crumbling? Oh, I hear you say, I hear you say, Look up, child. Look up, child. Where are you now when all I feel is doubt? Where are you now when I can't figure it out? Oh, I hear you say, I hear you say, look up, child, look up. And then the lyrics directed to the Lord. You are not threatened by war. You're not shaken by the storm. I know you're in control. Even in our suffering, even when it can't be seen, I know you're in control. Oh, I hear you say, I hear you say, 
Look up, child. Look up, child. Look up, child. Look up. That's where we're supposed to look. And when we do this, then people say, wow, even though troubles afflict her, she is not cast down. Or what keeps him afloat? It must be God. It must be something I don't have. Of course, God's power in human weakness doesn't always work. When people respond to their weakness and their failure with bitterness and self-pity, that's not really what Paul means when he talks about weakness. There must be a degree of faith and contentment and acceptance in the weakness. We must be content in not knowing. Not knowing what to do, not knowing what's going to happen. We must be willing to wait on the Lord. God wants us to remember that our weakness isn't a bad thing. It allows God's power to shine. Now we're going to get into this more deeply next week. But I just want to point out the next verse. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. You see, this is what's really going on. We are carrying, we are walking in the path of Christ. We are following Christ to glory. But on the way, the path of glory goes through the valley of suffering the valley of darkness, the valley of brokenness. Wine doesn't become great wine until the grapes get crushed. Let's come to the table of the Lord where we celebrate the one who was crushed And the life that it produced that we can enjoy. Let's pray. We give praise to you, O living Christ. We thank you that you came. We thank you that you suffered willingly for us. We thank you that you bore the burden of our sin and guilt. We thank you that you were raised again from the dead. We thank you that you ascended into heaven. We thank you that even now you are there at the Father's right hand, interceding for us, watching over us, caring about us, And that you have promised to return to us on a day when we will be able to see you face to face. And when we will leave behind all our troubles, all our sorrows, all our brokenness, all our losses, all our sinful corruptions.
all our pain. And when we will live in a world which isn't cursed, and we will live with you in perfect unity, in glorious light. Oh Lord, we look forward to that day and pray that we would be willing to go through the preparation for that day that you deem fit for us. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you demonstrated this yourself for us. And we thank you that your death brought us life. And now, Lord, we celebrate this with gratitude and high praise and great joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.